0: One of the reasons I love the Bible so much and why I love the church so much is because problems flow downstream, right? You look at the problems in your life, you look at the problems in our society, and and so many of us want to get angry with them, upset with them, deal with them right there, but all of these problems came from somewhere else, right? All of these problems have flowed downriver to where we notice them, and so what Scripture does is Scripture leads us upriver, Scripture leads us to the source of the problems, the source of the solution, which is ultimately found in the individual's heart connection with God. That's where all the problems in our life come from. All of the solutions in our life are going to come from there as well. Our heart's connection with God. The very super fancy church word for this is our theology. Our idea, our heart's idea, <laughs> more truthfully, our heart's idea of who God is. Our theology is our source. It is the thing that shapes our life. What we think about God, what our hearts think about God. Is he good? Is he trustworthy? Does he need to be supplemented with other things? This is what shapes our life. And so the problems that Micah is addressing in Judah, they are theological problems. The theological problems and Micah six to seven wraps up this very short collection of sort of excerpts of sermons Micah preached. You might look at these these sermons here that Micah preaches and think, "Oh, I wish Pastor David was more like Micah and he, you know, preached for five minutes at a pop here." But these are just excerpts. Okay, come on now. Micah preached for thirty-five to forty minutes too. That's just what you have to do. I have found. But Micah wraps this up. And in his conclusion here, he brings us to that source. The origin of the problems that Judah is facing. The origin of what will be the solution to their situation. So let's walk towards that here, beginning in Micah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Micah 6, 1 to, 1 to 12, 1 to 16 is uh, God's final indictment. It's kind of a summary of all of the problems that he has with Judah. His final indictment and final sentencing. And it begins here in verses one, 1 to 5. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people. He will contend with Israel. Here's the beginning of it. Verse 3. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? Have I, how have I wearied you? Answer me. For here's what I did. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. And redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. And what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. The indictment begins with simply this, I've loved you. This is I've loved you, but... Verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He's told you, O man, what's good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God. See, God has loved them, but it is not God that they're loving back. God wants to be loved, verse 8, He wants to be loved in ways that reflect who He is, that reflect His character and the stuff He does. Do justice, love mercy. The first thing God ever tells us about Himself in, in Exodus 34, I'm the Lord, the Lord, merciful, love mercy, my people, reflect who I am. But instead, they're treating God just the way that pagans treat their gods. As somebody that you can appease with sacrifices. 10,000 rams, sacrificing children. We just want to appease God with sacrifices in order to get the gods to do what we want. He's saying, you're treating my worship in the temple. You're treating worshiping me, but you're not worshiping me. You're You're treating me like you would treat These other guys, you're not loving me back. It's like loving your spouse with what, loving your wife with what some other woman enjoys, right? I I very quickly, I I came as a a young man into uh, dating and courtship and all that all that stuff with a very vague, probably Hollywood-shaped idea of what women like, right? So, I'm I'm buying Janisha all these different. uh, jewelry, earrings, and all this kind of stuff. And, and finally, like a couple rounds in, she's like, I don't wear this stuff. Like, you're, you're, you're trying to bless me, you're trying to serve me with what you think other women want. It's not me. It's not me that you're bringing love to. It's not me that you're loving. When he gets to verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good, what does the Lord request? He, he said, this is God exasperated. I have loved you, and you're acting like you don't even know me. You're going to offer your children as sacrifices to me? What are you doing? It is not me that you have loved, because it's not God that they want. Let's keep reading in verse, in verse 9. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? What is it that they love? He says, your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. What is it that they love? They want money. They want money. This is why Jesus says you can either serve God or money. You can't serve two masters. Because these are the two masters we tend to serve. God and money. Why the Apostle Paul says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils, all kinds of injustices. This is what Mike is explaining here. The primary reason that their society is unjust is because of greed. The primary reason that injustice is being tolerated and, and ignored and allowed is because people are greedy. They want a bit of it. So God's accusation is fundamentally, I did all this for you. I would do so much more for you, my people. But you decided that what you most needed and what you most desired was what money could do for you. And you want to get that money in order to buy me off as your God? Get me to bless the stuff that you're doing? And you're going to use that money to to increase the distance between the rich and the poor, the haves and the have-nots, to make your society more and more unjust. That's the world you want to live in? Chasing money to get you there. And so, we come to the final sentencing. That's the final indictment. Now the final sentencing here, beginning in verse 13. God sentences them to kind of two things. Therefore, he says, therefore I strike you with a grievous blow, making making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. I want you to know something. What, what God sentences them to is certainly what they deserve, but it's also actually what they've chosen. They've, already, they've chosen this, and God's just kind of saying, okay. That's the way sin works, right? Like God doesn't necessarily have to be blasting us with punishments. He's like, okay, you want that sin. I'll I'll tell you, here's your punishment. You get it. This is the first thing that God sentences them to, and that is emptiness. They will not be satisfied by what their money can get. You see that in verse 14? You shall eat, but you you will not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You're going to get you're going to eat and then you're going to be hungry because you're chewing on a pacifier <laughs> and you're not filling your belly. You're going to eat but you're still going to be hungry. See, built into greed is this very painful reality. You have probably had some measure of experience with this truth that every good thing that you have when you're greedy recalls to mind something better that you don't have yet. This is such a night nice thing that I have, but you know what would make it better? Oh, that's baked into greed. We hope in money, but money creates a hunger it cannot satisfy. Money creates a hunger that it cannot satisfy. And the second thing that happens, which is also a, just a consequence of being greedy and wanting money more than anything, is exile. God sentences them to exile. Exile. Verse 15, you shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourself with the oil from them. You shall tread grapes but not drink the wine from them. For you've kept the statues of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab and you've walked in their councils that I may make you a desolation and your ha- inhabitants a hissing. So shall you bear the scorn of my people. They will not be saved by their assets and their securities they won't be satisfied by their money and their money's not going to save them either in verse 15 he says you shall sow but not reap so in the amount of time from putting the seeds in the ground to when they send the harvesters out to get it in that space of time you're going to be gone why are they going to be gone so quickly why are they just going to disappear because money attracts predators this is what they experienced. Judah, Israel, flourished. They got richer. The wealthy got wealthier, and the Assyrians thought, "Hmm, I'd like that." And they came and they took it. This is why. Uh, this is one of the reasons why rich people are, are talk about being so uniquely lonely. Because I can't. Who can I trust? Who can I trust? I've got this big nest egg, and now all of a sudden all my kids and their friends and their cousins and everybody's kind of like, you know, checking in on me and caring. How How do we trust people? Because we know that when we hope in money, it doesn't work because money attracts predators that it can't save us from. Money attracts predators that it can't save us from. So this is God's final indictment, Judah's final sentencing, And now Micah, who is the prophet delivering this, Micah's final lament is recorded next here in chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Now let's listen to Micah's lament. He says, "'Woe is me, for I have become, as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There's no cluster to eat, no 1st ripe fig that my soul desires.' Now look, listen to how total is the injustice in the world that he lives as he laments this. He says the godly is perished from the earth. There's no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood and each hunts the others with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, the very highest people in society. And the great man utters the evil desire of his soul and thus they weave it all together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them, a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms, for the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house." What is uh, Micah's lament? His lament here is that the entire system of Judah, the entire society is unjust. From the heights of power to the people in your own home. Injustice is everywhere. Injustice never stays localized. Injustice becomes systemic. Listen to the way that Micah describes this. In verse 3, look at that last phrase. He says, the, right, the prince, the judge, and the great people. He says they weave it all together. They weave it all together. Society, friends, our civilization, and the society that, that is civilization in this fallen world is a system for optimizing injustice so that the greedy grow more powerful. That's what it means for this this world to be fallen and broken, is that when we create structures, when we create organization, it serves brokenness. It doesn't serve righteousness. Society in this world is a system for optimizing injustice so that the greedy grow more powerful. Does this resonate with you at all? Do you see this? How does this make you feel? I think we, we tend to imagine all the prophets as angry. But I think it might be truer to imagine them as sad. They're, they're sad. And if we saw things with the clarity that they saw things, that's how we would be. We feel angry when we see bad things because we think we can accomplish something to right it. Right? This is what James says. He says, He uh, The anger of people, human anger, does not accomplish the righteousness of God. But we get angry with situations because we feel like we can change it. But Micah ends his prophecies against Judah with lamentation. He says, I cannot change this. I cannot change this. The injustice of this world, I cannot change. The judgment that this world deserves that's coming, I cannot change. Lament is the beginning of, Of the right response to the injustices of society. It's the first part of the right response. The second part is the most important part. And that's what we read in verse 7 of Micah 7. But as for me, here's my lamentation over my society, but let me tell you what I'm going to do in response. As for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. I will look to God. The concluding response of Micah, the final response is faith. Faith is the thing, not anger, not violence, not strategies. Faith is the thing that God has given us to live life in this world. This world, little as we like it, we are to live in this world by faith. It's a world of injustice, it's a world of sorrows and sadness. Right, open your newspaper, scroll through your website and, and mourn. But as for me, the right response is to put our hope in God. Faith is what God gives us for life in this world. Is that okay? I don't nobody else is telling you it's okay. Is that okay? Or do we, need to, do we need to get together? Do we need to plan some plans and, and get some signatures and, and do some things, right? How is faith okay? How is faith right in this kind of world? Micah, David, aren't you paying attention? Turn on the news a little. See what's going on out there. How are you telling us to wait on the Lord and trust in Him? We need st- solutions that are stronger than faith. That's how it feels sometimes, right? To which Micah says, let's let's keep walking upstream. Let's keep walking upstream. And so we come, and I'll reference verses uh, 8 to 17 later, but but let's look at the end of Micah, all the way upstream for Micah, where his faith comes from. His faith comes from verses 18 to 20. Who is a God like you? He says in verse 7, But as for me, what makes you so different, Micah? What makes you so special? What gives you this faith? Because verse 18, Who is a God like you? As for me, because I have this God, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. What makes faith the right response in this kind of world? Faith is the right response because worship is going to be the final response. Faith is the right response today because we know that worship is going to be the final response. Because God is going to do glorious, good things. That's what Micah ends this with. He says, I'm just going to worship. I'm just going to say things about God and what He will do. I'm going to say things about God and who He is and what He's done. And that worship that worship sustains his faith. He says, I will wait because I can worship. We can be God's people in this world because this is our God. We can wait on him to work because we can worship him. And if we worship, we can wait. This is where Micah's faith comes from. This is why he can say, but as for me, what's so special about you, Micah? Nothing, but I know this God. I know this God. And this is, this is what's all the way upstream, is what your heart knows about God. This is where it all comes from. And what Judah had forgotten or what they didn't appreciate then became the source of all of their folly and their wickedness and then their doom because they forgot their God. Look at Micah 7, 18-20 again. Did, what does this remind you of? Who's a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgressions? He doesn't retain his anger forever. He delights in steadfast love. Does this ring any kind of bells? Does this kind of buzz for those of you who know your Old Testaments? It kind of, he will again have compassion. What Micah is doing here, his worship is simply reciting favorite selections from Scripture. Every single one of these has multiple hyperlinks under it. To go back to Isaiah, to go back to the Psalms, to go back to Exodus. Micah is just reciting his favorite scriptures, remembering, this is what worship is, is remembering core truths about God in the Bible. That's what it is. Remembering these core truths and seeing them in in our situations in light of them. Remembering those core truths about God from the Bible. Seeing our situation in light of who God is and then letting those truths become hope and comfort and strength and love, when we say, here's my situation, and we say, here's my God, immediately, your heart goes, okay. And then your heart can say, all right, (laughs) okay, all right. I can move. I can endure. I can move forward. I can trust this God in this situation because I have remembered the truths that the Word of God tells me about him. That's all Micah's doing here. That's all he's doing. Micah knows his God. He knows who his God is. He knows what his God has done. And so when he looks into the future, he knows what his God's going to do. That's what verses uh, 8 to 17 is all about. It's all about this, this day of vindication. Look with me at verse 9 of Micah 7, just to read a, a few of my favorite parts here. Micah 7, 9. Look at the last phrase here. This is just the best phrase. It says that God will bring me, Micah is saying, out, of, out to the light. He will vindicate me, and I will see his vindication. God will be vindicated by what he will do and my faith in him will be vindicated because of what he will do. Micah knows God. He knows who he is. He knows what God will do. God will work. This God is working. This God is good and I can trust him. This worship that comes at the end of Micah 7 is where Micah's faith comes from. Do we know our God? Do we know who He is? Do we know what He has done? Friends, we know God better even than Micah the prophet. We know what God has done even better than Micah the prophet does. We know who our God is even better than Micah the prophet knows God. Because why? Who do we know? We know Jesus. This is the time in the sermon (laughs) when we remember Jesus. We know Jesus, right? Jesus delivers verses 18 to 20. What what are those? Who's a God like you, pardoning iniquity? Jesus, passing over transgressions. Jesus, for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever. He delights in steadfast love. That's Jesus. He'll cast our sins into the depths of the sea. How'd that come about? Jesus, showing faithfulness and keeping his promises, and all the promises of God are yes in him. That's Jesus. Jesus is who God is. Jesus is what God has done. We know that our God deserves worship because we know Jesus. We know this so much better than Micah and Judah could have. We know our God deserves worship because we know Jesus, and so we know that our God is absolutely to be trusted because we know Jesus. And what it is about Jesus that, that vindicates our faith, that vindicates our God, is not just his amazing miracles. Right? It's not just that he was, he was walking around blasting people and doing awesome stuff. We got it all on video and you can look it up on YouTube. right? That's not what it is. It was actually Jesus' embodiment of Micah's faith. It was Jesus' faith in God. Faith in what God would do even while Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And he wept over the injustices of God's people. He trusted in what God would do. It was Jesus' faith in God even when Jesus himself went into suffering. When Jesus entered exile away from his people and he went into suffering and he went into death and separation. Yet he trusted God. And by his faith, by his faith, verses 9 and 10 of Micah 7 become absolutely true jesus says and we see in jesus that god will bring jesus out to the light right isn't that what happened at sunday that easter sunday morning jesus stepped into the light god brought him into the light and and god himself i shall look upon god's vindication god has kept his promises. He is faithful and is true. And then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where's the Lord your God? Where's the Lord my God? Come on. God was vindicated by Jesus' story and our faith is vindicated by Jesus' story. Our God is trustworthy and those who trust in Him are not the fools we seem to be. As for us, we will wait on the Lord our God. Because who is a God like Him? We have a God that we will worship. Paul says in Philippians 2.10, he says that every knee will bow, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everybody's going to worship our God someday, happily or unhappily. We have a God that we can worship, so we have a God that we can trust. Paul says in Romans 15, 4, that everything that was written, including Micah, in the past was written to teach us so that through in, the endurance taught in Scripture and the encouragement that they provide, we might have hope. Let me encourage you this morning, friends, to take this encouragement and this endurance and have hope to worship and wait, to wait and worship to be a worshiping, waiting person. Because we have this God. right? He is all Jesus is and all Jesus has done. He is our God. He is for us. So can we be in this world like we have a God we can trust? I think that's really the fundamental question that Judah answered no to and that is put to us today. Can we be in this world like we have a God we can trust? Or do we need to prop up our lives with other things to put our hope and trust in? And if we say yes, well, that's what God has given us worship for. worship is here to help us wait. And just again, so, so we understand what worship is because we've got we've got worship music, right? We've got the worship genre of uh, on iTunes, right? I want I want to be clear on what worship is. Worship is it's simply letting the truths of God from Scripture steady our faith, letting those truths steady our faith, and that's what good worship music does. It presents us the truths of God in a way that can steady our faith. I want to, I'm not going to talk a lot about this, but I want to try to be clear here and, and practical and helpful. We tend to think of, of I don't want us to think that worship, that I'm, that I'm talking about something that's just mechanical. Just put on your favorite album or, or just read the right verses and, and just kind of do worship. It's not going through motions, but I also don't want to take this away. There's motions involved. This is one of the reasons I love being on the music team, is because every other Monday we rehearse together, and I don't always want to be on the music team. (laughs) But I go there to go through the motions, and in the motions, worship happens. And I walk away with stronger faith every single Monday night. And we gather together and we sing. And you don't want to sing. It's hard to sing on a Sunday morning when you're still waiting for your coffee to kick in. And worship is not just going through those motions, but there's motions involved. Flap your gums a little bit, and by the end of it, your faith will be a little stronger. You'll be a little more encouraged to wait on the Lord. Sometimes we think about worship as some kind of uh, a sacrifice too. Like I'm going to come to church and I'm going I'm to sing and I'm going to go through the motions and I'm doing this God for you. I hope you see what I'm doing and you can hook me up on the things that I'm praying about this week. But what Micah shows us is that that's not what worship is. Worship is not us appeasing God. That's the problem in Judah. They're trying to appease God with worship. What Micah says, worship is is me appreciating God. It's investing in my appreciation for who He is and what He's done. This isn't about God's ego. this is about my heart. So what we see here is that faith flows from worship just as, as we see in, in the life of Judah, that folly flows from its absence. When we're not worshiping God, when we're just sucking on pacifiers, we're not getting anything there, and we're going to be hungry, we're going to be foolish. I'm getting a lot of mileage out of that pacifier thing. That was a quality illustration. And let me just close with this. So I want to to encourage you all. Um, I think there's a great resonance between where Micah's at and where you're at. Micah is uh, about to go through some really scary times. Are you worried about your children and your grandchildren, those of you with kids? Are you worried about the world that they're going to inherit and the things that they're going to have to face? Micah was worried about his children. He was worried about his grandchildren. He knew, in fact, that his children and grandchildren were going to witness the failure of their state. And all the infrastructure and all the processes were going to become more and more corrupt until they become inoperable. And he knew that his children and grandchildren were going to witness the slow but steady takeover of all of their their things by hostile nations. And that in their lifetimes, in his children and grandchildren's lifetimes, they were going to be literally watching their homes destroyed. They were going to see their favorite national monuments defaced and removed. They were going to see all the things that brought a tear to their eye on their patriotic days eliminated and destroyed. They were going to see all of that. And Micah would have said with sorrows and, and tears, this was unfortunately deserved." But he says, but as for me, but anyway, children and grandchildren, we have a God whose character we know. We have a God whose word we can trust. We can wait on Him. We can keep doing what's right. And again, I ask you, how much more so for us? How much more so for us who have seen the love of God in Jesus, who know His power and glory, who know His faithfulness, we can grieve, okay, and we can endure, and we can be faithful because we have Jesus. Micah says, Ask for me, I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. And he goes and he worships. He says, Who is a God like you? Friends, let us worship, let us wait on the Lord, and when things get hard, let's encourage each other with this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We need to hear these truths about you. We need to remember them. We need to see our fears and our anxiety and our frustration in light of them so that we can also experience not just those fears and anxieties, but the comfort that you have are, and want to give, the hope that you give by your power, wisdom, and love, the endurance, the strength, the love that we want to live with and be defined by, all of which we get from you and you alone. And so, Lord, as we're all in situations that require some measure of waiting, because we we live by faith in this world. And so would you help us to see what Micah does there return our hearts to you, turn our hearts to you. We don't want to just go through the motions, Lord, but give us the discipline, the courage to go through the motions, to turn again to you. And Lord, we trust that in this, you will stir up our faith, comfort our hearts, and continue to give us what we need to be yours. We ask that you would do all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.